Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're leaving out the theorizing and exploring the strange phenomenon of being a human and a therapist. I'm Kelly, licensed marriage and family therapist, working part-time at my private practice and part-time at a community mental health agency in the Denver metro area. And I'm Abby. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and an owner of a group practice in the Denver metro area. Kelly and I are both registered play therapists, supervisors, and EMDR certified. So we're both therapists, but this is not therapy. And we're both supervisors, but this is not supervision. This podcast is purely for fun. And please refer to your state guidelines and licensing boards for any ethical concerns. And please remember to subscribe and follow our podcast and on Instagram. So come join our conversation while we explore the embodied experience of neuroscience and authenticity in the therapy room. Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Abby. We're so excited to have you here for part two of our political stress episode. Part two. We're here again with more coffee. (laughs) Tea. Yes. We know that if you're here, then something from part one resonated Mm -hmm. to bring you back to part two. And we're going to continue being brave. I really feel like we just spent part one trying, trying to be brave and regulate through talking about something that feels scary and taboo and really important to bring to the field. Yeah. One thing that we talked about is that Abby and I actually tried to record this um, prior to us recording Mm -hmm. now, and uh, we left feeling like it wasn't what we wanted to say. And in the moment, it felt choppy. And we've came back and kind of talked about that it also felt really bumpy. Yeah. And so with this episode, um, we're already feeling better and feeling like we're more in rhythm, um, talking to each other when re-recording. Mm-hmm. We wanted to acknowledge that that might be what happens for you in the therapy room with your clients mm-hmm. as this stuff starts to come out. And as maybe we begin to practice talking about it more in our sessions, Yeah, it might feel really bumpy. And we know that with relationships, repair is what deepens that. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that maybe the second session or the third session that this gets brought up, you're going to feel more rhythm, more safety, more connection. I think it's such an interesting thing to process together because Kelly, you're such a safe friend and yet it has felt bumpy. Like we have needed to find that rhythm. And then we are, as we re-recorded, like we're totally there, but it was, it gave me a lot of acknowledgement, like, man, if safe friends even have to like find this, like, or work through the bumpiness of talking about something that, you know, we have different life experience bringing to this issue. Um, how much more bumpy is it for like a client or an acquaintance or I don't know. I just, I think that just really validated why this is so hard and why everyone feels so much stress. Because even with close friends, this can feel like almost like a Mm tiptoeing. Like I want to tiptoe. I want to be close to you, but I'm tiptoeing. And then that feels kind of awkward to like tiptoe when really we just need to step into with like vulnerability and authenticity to talk about something and then be, like you said, able to be humble and repair and create safety. I think that has to be the overarching theme. And we've seen that um, even on Facebook and therapist groups. I mean, you might be listening to this and feel really irked by what we're talking about. How dare you talk about politics in the therapy room? Right. Um, Some therapists really feel that way. They do. They're like, I would never disclose my political affiliation, even if a client was insistent to ask. 
other therapists respond. I'm thinking about a thread specifically recently. Other therapists are saying, of course I would, because the person in front of me might be a marginalized person that feels unsafe. Right. Of course I'm going to disclose and create safety. And I think either way, the theme is we do need to create safety, no matter your response. And I'm thinking that with those two responses that were on that thread, their responses were simply a way that created safety for them. Yes. And so if you're in a room with a client and you don't feel safe naming out loud what's coming up for you because of um, whether it's your political affiliation or it's your race or their race or your spirituality. Any value system. Yes. To use your favorite word. Values. <laughs> I really <laughs> don't like that word. <laughs> Abby and I have yet to explore this, but I am very excited to find out more about it. I love values, the word specifically, I guess. Anyways, we'll go yeah. on a tangent. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so if you can't say that out loud, we get to acknowledge that from a nervous system's perspective, it's like, okay, that means that there's something coming up for me and it doesn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. So then how are you creating safety? Yes. And first with you, right? You have to start with you. How are you creating safety within your body mm -hmm. to create safety for the client? Because if you don't have safety, and when we say that, we're talking, okay, there's like 15 different ways to talk about this. So a couple of them are like in your window of tolerance mm -hmm. um, or in your ventral vagal or regulation, right? Connected to, I don't really like this phrase, but connected to yourself. River of mental wellness. All of these poetic ways. <laughs> Basically, you're not a basket case or you know, like stressed out in the therapy room. You're regulated. You have to do that because neuroscience tells us we can't mentalize. We can't hold our client's mind in mind unless we feel safe. And when it comes to political stress or other things that feel taboo, like spiritual trauma or bringing race or LGBTQ, like any of these big identity pieces mm -hmm. that can feel sincerely, I believe it's a lack of training. Yes. I have a big issue with how therapists are being trained that that aren't learning to embody talking about these within the realm, like the neuroception of safety. We cannot mentalize or hold our client in mind if we don't feel safe. And then if you are not mentalizing or like reflective functioning is what Peter Fonagy would call it. If you don't have reflective functioning, are you even a therapist? Yeah. Are you That's even, a great question. there's no safety, right? Yep. Like, so that motivates me to really take care of myself in the therapy space when something like this comes up. Yeah. Well, going back to that piece that you said with the training, it just reminds me of trainings where they've been, you know, where I'm thinking about suicidality. Mm. And there's a myth, and thank goodness it's, you know, obviously came out that it's a myth that if we talk about it, a client is going to kill themselves. Right. Or, you know, somebody in your life, if you bring it up, then that means right. they're... And what they have found specifically with suicidality yes. is that the more that we bring it up, the more that we ask about it, the yeah. more that we lean into it, the better off probably our clients or the folks that are in your personal lives yes. are going to be. Because essentially the message is, I want to know all parts of you. And if there's a part that doesn't feel like living, I want to know and hold that with you. And it's not too much. And so when it comes to political attitudes, is that any different? I want to know if there's a part of you or your identity that feels unsafe in this administration or in this election process, and it's not too much. And I'm going to hold that with you. Is that the same thing? It feels the same to me. Right. It feels at least coming from an IPMB mm -hmm. perspective and model it feels like I would just bring that up in the room. Yes. I would say it out loud and I would use myself and the client. Yes. 
So what is that like to be a man and across from me and telling me all the ways that you hate a woman? Yes. What is that like for you to be affiliated with this party mm-hmm. and know uh, that I am affiliated with a different party? And, yes. and how can we talk about this together? And is that part of the corrective relationship or disconfirming experiences maybe when you think of it, attachment? Yeah. And And how cool is it though that We talk so much about how sacred the therapy space is. It does seem like it is, back to even just what you said a few moments ago, that we're safe friends and it was hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. How cool is it if you can have a therapy space that you've created? It is the only place in the world that there's safety in talking about this or that there's an attempt to move towards safety. As we are exploring this, it feels so important, almost... um, resonates as like spiritual or like this um, like higher reason to be able to talk about these things that are so I mean they're talked about in small groups they're talked about as colleagues yeah we resonate with this and yet it's like this tucked away thing that we can't be authentic and bring it into the therapy space to just be a human in the therapy room and have like this Deb Wesselman has this phrase like an unshakable belief Mm. Um, and she's talking about something else but that is coming up in my head because I was just listening to her. This unshakable belief that we can cultivate safety always, no matter how different our political attitudes or the same. Yes. They may be. And it makes me think of this like spiritual or existential that feels so important when there's all of this like resistance and divisiveness. And um, I think 2020 feels like just parts of it feel doom and gloom and evil. And yeah. That feels really important to be able to bring, if like you're saying, if not the therapy room, where where else? Well, and as you're talking about um, that phrase from Deb Wesselman, what did you say? Unshakable belief. Yeah. Unshakable belief. When you said the word unshakable, it made me think of family systems. Mm. And we know that in order to create change in families, the system and what's happening in the system has to be kind of shooken up yeah. and then put back together. Yes. And so is that what's happening in the therapy space is that we are kind of like, I'm imagining our nervous systems being like, um, I don't know, in my mind right now, I have this like cube in my head and there's all these parts and they're all put together. Mm. And then when we roll it like a dice, Mm -hmm. they all kind of come apart. And then the therapy space, we work together to like put them back together. Mm. But as we're putting them back together, it looks different. It feels different. We make new meaning out of it. Yeah, I think that the... The things that don't change or that are unshakable is like the hands that throw the dice, right? Like the people that are there. Yes. And then the beliefs and the meaning making has to be shaken up or at least revealed. Mm-hmm. Oh, an awareness. It goes back to like all this mindfulness. Um, and even you saying to a client, I want to check in about how you're doing with any election induced stress or anxiety. I want you to know this is a place we can talk about that. They may not take you up on it, but just you mentioning it and naming that could plant the seed of awareness. Like, oh, maybe that's happening for them. Yes. Or open a door for an opportunity that they can talk about that as long as you can regulate through whatever they may say. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I had somebody who was connected to 9-11 and when September 11th came around, like I hadn't seen them, but several days later I said, you know, I just want to start the session by acknowledging this. And if you want to talk about it, we can, Yes. but if it didn't impact you. And so I just want to acknowledge that we just passed September 11th. Yep. And they were so grateful. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, it was that the one message to them was that I was holding them in my mind yes. outside of session. There's that reflective functioning. Yes. Yes. It's interesting because there's a study that we read that essentially measured like the um, processing speed, but it essentially measured... Well, this study, it was interesting. They talked about how normally when they measure processing speed with linguistics, they use neutral language. So all these studies, and this was the first one that these researchers knew of, where they used like charged language to evaluate moral decision-making. And so they had, they would have a phrase like, I believe euthanasia is an acceptable choice. Mm -hmm. I believe euthanasia is an unacceptable choice. Mm -hmm. Then they would measure what happened in the brain when people read those things. Mm -hmm. And what they found, which is what made me think of this, is that, you know, sometimes we think like moral decision-making or moral judgment is like this really drawn out, deliberate process. We come to believe our judgments about morality, what is right or wrong, is like a calculated thing. When the truth is it takes about 200 milliseconds for your brain wow. to decide that is wrong, that is right. And those words acceptable or unacceptable were the charged word. And it got me thinking about the therapy space. Um, and they went on this whole other thing about like negative bias and how the negative thing lingered longer in the brain. And um, there was a whole bunch of other things that you could take from the study. Um, but for the purposes of today, I'm thinking about, gosh, like if someone says, and I believe blah, blah, blah is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Or just in general, he uses a word that rubs up against my own moral judgment, how quickly my brain is going to go into like, you're wrong, you're right. Mm -hmm. I think it brought attention to how the world feels right now. Before the study found, before the sentence is even over, you have already decided. Before that person is even done talking, you've already decided they're wrong or right. Wow. It feels like it goes back to being truly present for your client, mm -hmm. because if you're not and that comes up, there's no way for you to either say that out loud or take a breath to yes. come in back into presence, because that it sounds like it would just kind of pull you out of your presence. Mm -hmm. And so if you are truly present and that comes up, you'll know and you can bring yourself back. Yes. But if you weren't, yeah, I'm just wondering what the implications are for mm. a relationship with your client then. You know, we talk about uh, tone of voice, facial cues. If your body then believes that there is danger, do you stay in that space of threat for the rest of the session? And then what is the mm. message that's been sent to your client? I mean, I think that it, it kind of goes back to our self-care episode. Like all of a sudden I'm feeling this pressure now. Like, oh shit. Because <laughs> the truth is it's like we are, we are not, neutral people. We exist in political systems. Yes. Like we have to talk about political stress and politics because we exist in the systems that are political, right? And so we're political beings in that way. And we are not neutral. We have implicit and explicit bias on everything. Yes. And uh, clients are always bringing in things that rub up against our own morality. We're constantly making judgments. So bringing awareness to that though, it's like these subtle cues in our body, probably, I would think. Yeah. It's making me think back to the question of why are we not saying this stuff out loud? If we're talking about suicide out loud, if we're talking about yeah. race out loud. Yes. I wonder if it's because, and again, I haven't been alive long enough to truly know, and I'm not super into politics until probably the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. um, 
to have a, you know, I don't have as enough education to maybe speak on this, but what I'm curious about is, is this the first time maybe since 2016 that there's been so much danger that it Mm -hmm. just feels too scary to talk about? But because there's been so much danger, it also feels like such a need to be able to say out loud. Our white therapists specifically, cisgendered white therapists, are are they specifically now noticing what marginalized populations have felt for eons? Yes. Is that part of it too? Like, thank goodness things are so many flawed systemic issues are being revealed. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I think since the 2016 election. And is it just harder now to refute that that's happening? Yeah. So then, like, of course, and that's a good thing. Yes. And, and then, of course, that's going to be brought into the therapy space with kids. We work with kids that are bringing up election stress yes. all the way to adults. Yep. Um, Dr. Werda Liker just had a great webinar that you can find on her website, growbeyondwords.com. She's incredible. But anyway, she just had one on how do parents talk to their kids about the election and talk specifically about election-induced stress for kids um, because it's a real thing. Yeah. As we've been talking, there's been something that I've been holding in my mind. And again, I'm saying this as a white therapist, Mm -hmm. but as we're talking about the need to say it out loud, I'm holding what it actually might be like to be a person of color sitting across Mm -hmm. from a white person or a person who maybe is blatantly racist. Yes. And I just want to hold it. Um, Of course, there's not safety to say it out loud. Yes. Of course. Right. That's just true. I think it'll be so meaningful to have specific episodes dedicated to exploring that specific issue, being a therapist of color, because you and I, though I'm Hispanic, I'm white passing, right? Like you and I can't possibly speak on it, um, but we can hold that that's an experience for people that could be listening and like want to create safety in this podcast to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. Yes. Yeah. And I think you and I talked about this off the podcast, but I think as we're talking now, it feels like it fits in here that folks who have websites or their office space, there are things that you put in your office and there are things that you put on your website to essentially attract a certain type of clientele. So if a conservative person shows up in your office and you're a liberal therapist or a liberal shows up in your office and you're a conservative therapist, if you have some of that stuff on your website or in your office, they already know. So why are we not saying out loud, putting aside the piece of like true unsafety? Yes, exactly. Well, yeah, not that like anyone has any Trump signs or Biden signs or whatever in their therapy office, but I think you're talking about these social issues of like um, having a pride flag so that any clients who are LGBTQ like understand that there's safety for Black Lives Matter, like things like that. And it's true. I think they're just, and maybe it's too radical. I don't think so because we're talking about it, but maybe it's really radical though. The, The therapist that I graduated as would never talk about it this way. So it could be quite an interesting idea. Is it okay to just make space for it in the therapy room and use ourselves and our lived experience and our own values with the client um, when it comes to politics? I think so. I think it could, I think it's the only way to create safety now for a lot of people too. I have to say that I think that that question is where we need to leave this Mm -hmm. part too. Yeah. I think if folks can just sit with that question mm-hmm. and if you want maybe um, back up a little bit to hear that again yeah and 
and just sit with that and wonder. And so we're just so glad you could be with us and hang with us as we talk about this. We are looking forward to being with you again.